Hello, I'm Mariette Slane. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others, introducing you to wellness experts who sincerely wish to assist and inspire. Today's topic is Midlife Women, Overcoming Fatigue, Low Mood and Weight Gain. My guest is Anita Hamilton-Williams, Functional Medicine Health Coach from Johannesburg. Welcome, Anita. Thank you, Mariette. It's lovely to be here. To our listeners, after our conversation, Anita will give us her three best tips on nutrition and menopause. And then it will be fun question time. Anita, in many cultures, menopause is honored as a significant rite of passage. But in Western society, many menopausal women feel that they have to deal with this all on their own, with very little support. How do you see this? I couldn't agree with you more. I think the perimenopause term or menopause is a stage of life that many women fear moving into because it's almost a stage where our reproductive years are behind us, but we tend to feel that as we pick up some of the symptoms that um, are most prevalent in menopause, we can start to feel unattractive, we can start to feel overlooked, we can start to feel that our best years are behind us and that things are just going to start going downhill from there on. And so I think there's quite a negative connotation around that particular stage of a woman's life. Um, and I think many women even don't like to admit that they're perimenopausal or menopausal. There's just this stigma that seems to be attached around that stage of a woman's life. So just from a timing perspective, um, the average age of a woman moving into menopause is 51 years. But anything from five to seven years leading up to that is when the hormonal fluctuations start to change. And that's really what's classified as the perimenopausal stage. And it's a little bit like going through puberty um, at the other end of your life where the hormone fluctuations can be raging. And each woman experiences menopause or perimenopause in a slightly different way. There are a couple of common areas, but I think as we chatted before around our functional medicine talk a couple of weeks ago, the notion that every woman is unique and individual, their choices of what they eat, their choices of how they manage stress, their exercise, their relationships, their overall health is unique. And because of that, combined with their genetics, they move into menopause and they experience different symptoms. And you'll note that some cultures around the world move into menopause and they have very minor issues. And yet it tends to be more in the Western society where women move into that stage of life and they have significant symptoms. But like anything else that's bio-individual, you need to look at what the experience is for that particular woman and assist them in the particular areas of life that are unique to them. There is no real one-size-fits-all. As you've just mentioned in our previous podcast, we spoke about functional medicine. And today's topic will dovetail with that. Yes. Could you 
you just give us a quick recap of functional medicine? Okay, so functional medicine looks at the body as an entirety, which I suppose is where the, the term holistic comes in. But it also looks at the different systems of the body. So if I can give you an analogy, if you, if you work with a, a Western doctor, a conventional allopathic doctor, you tend to find specializations. So if you have an issue with your heart, you would see the cardiologist um, or the gastroenterologist with your gut or endocrinologist with your hormones. And so each of the major body systems are divided out and there's a doctor or a medical specialist that looks after that particular area. However, there is also, it's really important to understand that the body doesn't just work in those individual systems, that they all talk to each other and especially with hormones because what a hormone really is, is a messaging system. And so hormones can be manufactured or made in one part of the body, the ovaries for example, but the effects of that hormone, that message which is being sent out to the body is experienced and felt all over the body. So functional medicine understands and looks at the body as one entire system and not as individual parts. We also look at, we also look at working with a, an individual and their uniqueness. So what makes an individual unique is their genetic blueprint their experience of life, their diet, their exercise, their stress exposure, their exposure to toxins. And that combined with their genetics and combined with their normal day-to-day -day lifestyle presents a particular picture to somebody. So if you have two menopausal women sitting in front of you, there's going to be some similarities because they are both moving into a stage of life where their hormones start to fluctuate. But there's going to be far more variance and difference between what they are experiencing than there are commonalities. So what functional medicine does is it looks at the uniqueness of the individual and comes up with interventions in order to address the uniqueness of what that individual is experiencing. And then lastly, around functional medicine, which is probably one of the most important tenets, it's that it addresses the symptom at the root of the problem. So I think the analogy I gave last time was around people coming into a dam and their canoes are broken and they are bleeding and their paddles are broken. And at first glance, you would think that, or something a little bit upstream from there has caused the problem. And you might go upstream and find out that there's a waterfall and all of these paddlers have come down the waterfall and experienced this and this is why they have that result. However, you need to go even further upstream from that and have a look at, well, if there's a waterfall, is there some kind of signage telling those individuals that you need to be a certain level experienced paddler in order to come down that? Um, are we providing training for that person? Does the person have a life jacket? So you keep on going upstream in order to find out what is causing that and you address it at that level. And it's only when you address it at that level that everything that cascades down from there, which are the symptoms, then start to go away. And you don't need to band-aid them anymore with 
medications, over-the-counter medications, etc. Because you've addressed it at the very starting point in the body. And so there's, there's no longer any need to patch it up. Thank you. How would you define perimenopause? You have touched on it, but would you like to say a little more about it? So perimenopause is, are, the, are the years leading up to, up to menopause. Menopause is defined as when a woman has not had a period for a year. So once you have, have missed it for 12 months, then you are defined as being menopausal. And the, the number of years, I think I mentioned five to seven years leading up to that, you have many different changes going on in the body. And what you will start to see is that your period may occur one month and then you might skip for two or three months. And then you might have a period again in month four, five, six, and then you skip again. Or you might just spot very lightly. So that whole menstruation cycle starts to shift. But what also um, comes into play there is that the balance in your hormones is, is what is the most significant for, for any woman in terms of how her body is functioning, how her moods are, her heart health, etc. And the number of hormones that are in our body, I think we, we tend to think, well, we've got estrogen, we've got progesterone, but we also have testosterone, which is very important for a woman in midlife. We also have DHEA, which is prior to that. But then we also have other hormones which impact a woman in those years, which is cortisol, which is your stress hormone. You also have your thyroid hormone, which runs your metabolism. And you also have insulin, which, is, which manages your blood sugar. And all of those hormones talk to each other. And if you can picture a spider web and the moment you pull on one end of the spider web, something starts to change on the other end. And that's what happens with, with hormones, is that once you get into the perimenopausal years and your progesterone levels start to decline, that has a knock-on impact to other areas in your body with, with hormones. And what your, what your listeners may or may not be aware of, I know it certainly comes as a surprise to a lot of my clients, is that even if you are perimenopausal or menopausal, you may still be estrogen dominant. You may still have higher levels of estrogen because the ratio and the balance between the hormones is what is most important. So when you move into, into menopause and your progesterone levels start to drop, if they are too low in comparison to your estrogen levels, you may be estrogen dominant and then start to get significant symptoms because of that. And I think most people tend to think, if I'm going into menopause, my estrogen is going to be low. The other area to note, and this is really, really quite significant, is that as we move into menopause and our ovaries start to stop the production of progesterone, what picks up the production of progesterone are our adrenal glands. And the adrenal glands are two little like walnut-sized glands that sit on top of our kidneys. And prior to menopause, one of the functions of the adrenal glands, one of the major functions, is the production and manufacture of stress hormones in order to protect the body while you are going through stress. So we have cortisol that's released there. We also have adrenaline and noradrenaline. 
And when in a woman in her perimenopausal years has experienced a lot of ongoing chronic stress, and I think many of us, just given what we all went through during COVID, have certainly experienced that. But when we move into that perimenopausal phase, and now the adrenal glands are being asked to pick up the production of progesterone, but the adrenal glands may already be quite flat because they have been managing and dealing with stress for a long period of your life, then you are asking your adrenal glands to pick up an extra load, and that can then cause, that can lead to very low levels of progesterone, which then in um, balance, the ratio then between progesterone and estrogen is thrown out. And you then get symptoms associated with very high levels of estrogen, which are your hot flushes, anxiety levels, um, night sweats, weight gain, imbalance in blood sugar. And I see that pattern very often. So we have this chronic high stress that a woman has experienced. The adrenals are just not able to pick up the load and produce enough progesterone. And therefore, the estrogen levels are too high in comparison. And we then start having these um, estrogen, high estrogen symptoms. The other thing that triggers, uh, just talking about hot, hot flushes, what triggers a hot flush is the rapid decline and increase of estrogen. So if that ratio is out of balance, um, depending on how high the estrogen is, that very high level of estrogen can cause that hot flush to occur. And so you might experience that you know, during the day, multiple times during the day. That's often exacerbated by coffee and often exacerbated by alcohol. Um, and so those are two of the liquids, drinks, that I would advise a woman to abstain from for a period of time to see if it impacts them. It's not going to impact all women, but I have certainly found that it impacts many. Thank you. I think it's the first time I understand the whole estrogen business. Good, good, good. Now, when a woman enters this stage, what is going on in her body? Okay, so the adrenals are picking up the production of progesterone. The ovaries are still producing an amount of estrogen as well. But what also produces estrogen in a woman is her fat cells. Fat cells are actually endocrine cells, and so fat cells are actually producing progesterone. And so for women who enter into menopause already overweight or already with quite a bit of belly fat, you'll find that they are going to tend to be more estrogen dominant and tend to have more significant swings in, in estrogen as a result of that. So being able to lose weight before you get into menopause is actually something that women should focus on. And what I, what I like to view menopause as is that this five to seven year period leading up to menopause is a long runway that nature gives us in order to sort out our health issues. Because what worked for us on this side of menopause is not going to work for us on the other side because everything about our hormones starts to shift. And as I mentioned with the spider web, you pull one thing and something else changes. And so making sure that when you move into menopause, you've got, um, you're not carrying excess weight, 
you've addressed and managed your stress. And I do find that any lingering health challenges that a woman has tended to to overlook and not place too much attention on, they tend to ramp up and come full force, almost as if your body is saying to you, okay, you've put that on the back burner for long enough, and I need you to address this, and you need to sort this out before we move into menopause. So we have this long, you know, five to seven year period where nature gives us the opportunity to do that. So I think a lot of women, um, and certainly I was one of them, is going through perimenopause, you just don't want to be there. And so you don't want to address the health challenges that you've got. And I wish that I had known more about this in those years, because I would have made the changes a lot sooner. And then you ease into menopause a lot easier. I think the other thing that's important to note around menopause is that now that I myself am in in menopause, I'm so thankful that I don't have these drastic emotional swings from huge amounts of hormones surging through me at different times of the month. Um, I feel a lot more calm and there seems to be a lot less emotional, mental fluctuation on a, on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. But what is also important for a woman, I believe, in this stage of, of her life is to look at where can she now that she doesn't have the same challenges as a woman around nurturing children and you know, having children and providing for them and her children are largely grown up or they've moved out the house or they don't need as much um, tending, is that she can now look at the skills and the opportunities to take her wisdom and what she has learned and to be able to then contribute in a in a way that provides a level of fulfillment and satisfaction for her. I think if you look at, at women in, in business, if you look at women in politics, the women that are out there achieving great things are often the women in their 60s and beyond because they now have that capacity and time They have a certain level of confidence in themselves and their abilities. They know what they can and can't do. They know what their strengths are. And so I would encourage every woman that has moved into menopause to reframe the way that they look at menopause. And instead of thinking of it as an ending of something, is to look at it as a, what could this be a new beginning for? What lights a fire inside of me? What have I put on the back burner for many, many years that I could perhaps resuscitate and have a look at again and bring that back into my life so that now I can channel my wisdom, my support, my encouragement for those that are younger than me um, and contribute in that way. So to me, it's a new stage of a woman's life and an exciting stage of a woman's life. So you were talking about that that time, the perimenopause time, when nature or your body shows you where you need to work. Yes. And then that's the one thing I want to say, and I'm sure one needs some support when doing that. Yes. It would be helpful, I think, to have someone like you with your training who can look at the individual and who also knows what generally happens during that time to to help interpret the symptoms or the signs that they yeah. see and help them develop 
the, the right goals yeah. to meet yeah. on a physical level. Yeah. Then you have mentioned that menopause is a gateway to doing new things mm-hmm. or, or developing your identity in right. a new way. Right. Does perimenopause also prepare one for that in a certain way? Or how? where does one find guidance on how to how to develop potential that you might have forgotten about? Mm. I think that if we go back to hundreds and hundreds of years ago, when we lived more in community, I think that any stage of a, of a woman's life, because perimenopause and menopause are stages of life, they're not illnesses, um, you would certainly have had older women in the community that you could look to and get guidance from. And we unfortunately don't have, most of us don't have that that level of, of support today. And I think mainstream media also attaches so much value to youth that the moment you feel that I think my hormones are starting to shift or something feels like it's not right or I may be in perimenopause, rather than deal with it, we want to push it under the carpet because it's not, you know, it's not fun, it's not sexy to be in perimenopause as defined by society. So, you know, who do we go to to, to find out about that? Who do we go to to get help and, and support? And so one thing that I have decided to, to do is to create a membership club for women in that perimenopause and menopausal stage of life. And the idea is that you come into the group, you are in a community of women who are going through the same, potentially the same challenges in certain areas of life as you are. And each woman has got a certain capacity in terms of what they are, what they can change, depending on how busy their life is, etc., and the idea is just to provide this container to support you during that stage. There are going to be um, experts coming into the group and doing presentations. There's going to be question and answer sessions so that if you've got any questions, they can be um, asked and people can learn from the questions as a, as a community. And then there's also going to be teachings about how do you address some of the challenges that are health conditions that are potential health conditions in menopause like cardiovascular disease what do we do around that for women what is the story around hormone replacement therapy what is the story around bioidentical hormone replacement therapy how do we address osteoporosis women during that stage of their life can also go through levels of depression what are the areas around depression um, from a genetic perspective when your estrogen levels start to shift, there are some genes that are activated with higher levels of estrogen. And so you will often see that women in menopause in in one particular area, their cholesterol can start to increase because of a specific impact with one of the genes. And so if we can, through food, start to trigger and boost that particular gene, then the cholesterol levels will come down on their own and they're not necessarily going to have to take medication for that. So all of these questions and also an area I haven't even touched on is is gut health. I find that many women coming into these later stages of, of life, gut health is really 
often one of the one of the places that we start in addressing a woman's health, having a look at what imbalances there are. Are they digesting their food well? Because as we get older, we do start to produce less stomach acid, which helps to break down our food, which then helps to release digestive enzymes to extract the nutrient from the food. So all of these areas are very particular to a specific stage of life. And so this membership group is designed for that. And you can move along at as quick a pace as you want to, or as slow a pace as you want to in in the group. And that is going to be launched in the next two months time. And so anybody interested in that, you can pop along to my website and just sign up so that the moment the group is launched, you will get notification of it. And um, you can see whether this resonates with you and feels like something you want to do. So this will be an online group because I know you work internationally. Yes. And what do you mean by they can they can go ahead as fast or as slow as they like? How is it going to be structured? Okay, so coming into the group, there's going to be a four-week program. It's designed as a four-week program in order to address some key foundational health issues. So... If we have to simplify the approach of functional medicine, I would break it down into three areas. The first is we need to maximize certain key areas for a particular individual. So we look at maybe we need to maximize certain nutrition that they're not getting. Maybe we need to maximize um, certain supplements or we need to maximize and, and improve certain levels in blood markers that are going on for in a particular individual. We also need to minimize certain things. And um, the things that we need to address when we minimize is infection, injury, uh, trauma. Trauma can be childhood trauma. Trauma can be surgery. So we need to look at what do we need to minimize for that individual? What do we need to maximize for that individual in order to get them back to health? And then what do we need to do to get that individual into a healing environment? And I refer to that as the foundations of health. And so that foundation is probably the most difficult for us to put in place because that means changing some of the things in our lifestyle. So let's look at your sleep. Let's look at your exercise or movement. What can you do? What can't you do? Let's look at hydration. Are you consuming enough water, liquids? Are we drinking you know, fizzy drinks, are we drinking loads of coffee, etc. So tailoring each of those foundations for the individual. What's happening for you around stress? What's happening for you around self-care? What's happening for you around your thoughts? Your thoughts are one of the biggest impacts in your health because your body follows your mind. And If you are sending negative messages and negative thoughts to your body all the time, your body can potentially go into a state of stress. When you are in a state of stress, the chemistry of your body changes because your body goes, if we're in a stress state, then I now need to make sure that there's enough blood sugar in the body, so I'm going to release more blood sugar. I'm going to make sure that the heart's pumping faster, so we're going to push up the blood pressure. So being in a stress state changes the way the body actually works. And your thoughts can trigger that. And so understanding these foundations of health and making sure that you start shifting and making these lifestyle changes. So it's it's that particular piece. So 
let's say somebody, let's talk about something like sleep. When you go into the menopausal years, your sleep can be severely impacted from levels of dropping progesterone. And you may have somebody who falls asleep really easily, but they wake up at three in the morning and they lie awake for a couple of hours. Or you may have somebody that battles to fall asleep, but once they fall asleep, they can stay asleep the whole night. So talking through, you know, what is sleep? If you wake because you've had alcohol, what can you do to mitigate that? What can you do to fall asleep faster? What can you do to stay asleep better? What can you do to have deeper sleep or longer REM sleep? So the first four weeks of the membership group is putting those foundational steps in place. And for some people, they may not have many things to change. And for some people, it may take longer to make those changes and see an impact. And this is why, for me, the membership group is great because it's not a, here's a four-week program and when you're done, you're done and there's no support for you afterwards. The idea is that you come in and it takes as long as it takes for you to put that in place in order to get your foundations in place. How exactly do you do it? Do you send out questionnaires to the people who enroll or, or how do they know what they should change? So there is a there's training material. So one of the things that I am quite adamant about doing is providing practical information that's not overwhelming because I think that the world of health tends to overwhelm us and we can get overwhelmed quite easily with that. So my aim is to provide that, is to provide practical information that's that's not overwhelming. So there's going to be a teaching on that. So a video program where I will um, talk about it. There may be a, a handout that you can read and there will definitely be some, these are the first steps that I recommend that you start with. If Anybody that has watched that particular video finds that they have questions. Then there's a one of the weeks during the month, there's going to be a question and answer session. And you either come along to that call live and ask your question or you submit that question and I will address that and, and, and help you around that, that issue. And then for some people, you may find that the general group information that, that is being provided is not enough. And then they have the opportunity to book a one-on-one -on -one session with me. We will do a deep dive into what the specific challenges are for that particular individual. And maybe there's blood work that we need to request, or um, maybe there's a lifestyle change or behavior change that needs to come in, or maybe a reframe of what they're doing. So there will be a level of coaching that they can tap into should the, the membership group setting not, not work for them. Thank you. So they come in and they get the videos, which they can watch in their own time. Uh huh. And then they, and then once a month there will be the question and answer yes. sessions, which they can attend live, or if they can't, they can send you the questions in advance, and you will see that it is addressed. Correct. And then you will look at everybody's questions and suggest that perhaps on this point they need to do a consultation. Absolutely. Yeah. And there are a lot of, I do have a lot of questionnaires that depending on the topic that we are addressing will go out to all of the people in the group. So for example, if we look at something like magnesium, 
which is one of the nutrients, one of the minerals that I find most of the clients that I work with are quite deficient in. Especially if you've got blood sugar imbalances, you'll find that the magnesium levels tend to be quite low. Now, magnesium is really important for um, managing stress as well. And we don't always want to take a magnesium supplement. We may want to take it initially to boost the levels, but then it would be good to know what foods can we eat in order to maintain this good level of magnesium that I now have. So I have questionnaires that will go out to all the people in the group saying, assess yourself on this particular, you know, how many portions of this particular food do you have a week? How many of this do you have? How many of that do you have? Then a little further on, it will detail and say, what stressful experiences are you currently experiencing? So you will flag that. And then we'll work out an amount of magnesium that you should be getting in your diet and then have a teaching session around it. And someone may come along to the teaching session and say, well, I don't, let's say, for example, legumes have got loads of, of magnesium in. And they may say, I can't tolerate legumes. I find that I have this bloating and there's a major problem with that. So what are the workarounds to that? And so there are a couple of recommendations about how to prepare legumes but that particular individual may also have IBS, where mm. legumes are not re are not right for them at that moment, and so they can come into their diet in a different way. And then we would recommend a alternative form of foods with magnesium that will do the same thing. But for for now, for them, legumes are not an option. I really like the fact that you will be able to provide your your expertise in a basic way in the form of videos and yeah. things people can read. Yeah. And then if there's any problem, then you can come in. Yes, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. So that there are, um, there's a foundational approach, and if you try that and that works for you, awesome. If it doesn't, we can escalate that. Um, and certainly if I can't help an individual, then I could refer them out to somebody that I think may be able to help them. So I think that there's, there's always an opportunity to be helped. We just need to have a starting point and get someone working on the basics. And then the body wants to heal. You give the body the right environment, it will heal itself. And Anita, how does a woman know whether she qualifies for the group? The group is open to, it's going to be open to all women who are perimenopausal and menopausal and even if you're not sure if you're in that particular stage yet there is no um, barrier to entry to join the group whatsoever so you know come along I think what I what I'm likely to do in the opening week is to give everybody free access for a period of time maybe a week or maybe 10 days and let them scout around and see what's in there and get to experience it, and then to see whether that feels like a good fit for them. And if it does, then they can sign up and, and subscribe to it and be part of our community. And if it's not a good fit for them, well, then it's not a good fit for them. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds very sensible. Yeah. Thank you. A quick note on what I do and why I do it. 
I'm a content entrepreneur creating podcasts and articles for my own platform and for various magazines and digital platforms. My weekly podcast episodes and the articles on my website focus on emotional health, parenting, love relationships and the life challenges we all face. Each episode and article features a therapist, coach or other wellness professional so you can get to know them and find an expert who will resonate with you should you need one. After all, online therapy and coaching means we can connect across continents. I love the fact that my website has had visitors from 100 countries and that I've featured 90 plus experts so far. Don't forget the up close and personal articles on my website, which offer you a peek at the person behind the expert. If you're a wellness expert who'd like to be featured on my platform, just click on services on my website and then send me an email. Now, back to my guest. Where can listeners learn more about your work? I have a website um, which is called myhealingspace.co.za and so they can go along to, to there and they can find out about the work that I do one-to-one. They can also enroll and put their name down for the membership group so that once that comes out they'll be notified. And then also I do genetic testing and a number of functional testing so they can provide their contact info there and I can get back to them. I also do have on my website an opportunity to book a no-obligation 20-minute call. If you feel that you are interested in working with me one-on-one, then what I suggest you do is to book the call. It's no obligation. We'll chat. I'll find out what it is you're looking for help with. Um, We'll get a sense of whether we are a a good fit for each other. And then we can take it from from there. You're also on social media. Oh, yes, I am also on social media. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. And I am on Facebook. And in fact, at the moment, I've got a 13 posts as part of a series, which is 13 foundational aspects of health. And so every couple of days, I'm posting a new one with a write-up about what is important. And these are the foundational areas that I referred to earlier on. Oh, I see. Yeah. And then also you have a very sensible newsletter that people can subscribe to on your website. Yes, I have a newsletter that comes out once a week. And it comes out on a Sunday. And um, some of the topics that I've covered so far last week was all about coffee. And um, is coffee is coffee good for you or is coffee not good for you? And the answer is it depends because it really depends on it depends on your genetics. It depends on what health challenges you you have. Um, the week before that, I think it was around toxic hazards in the bathroom that impact health. And in fact, this is something I'd like to bring in because I didn't mention it earlier. And that is one of the most disruptive ingredients to hormone health, especially in the menopausal years, is what we refer to as a endocrine disruptor. Okay, that's a professional term. The layman's term is an estrogen mimicker. So there are certain compounds and chemicals found in everyday products that when they get into the body, look 
close enough to the body as if it was estrogen. And so if you can picture a cell in the body, and I like to picture it as a, as a balloon with all these little antennas on it, and these antennas are receptors, and the receptors pick up the hormones. And so the hormone has got to be a very particular shape in order to connect into that receptor. And when it does that, and it connects into the receptor, it can then start to have an impact on what's going on inside the cell. Now, unfortunately, we have loads of chemicals that are estrogen mimickers, and they can also connect into the cell on the receptor. And so they actually um, send the signal into the cell as if it was estrogen. And this is one of the ways in which we can have higher levels of estrogen than our body is naturally producing. So we become estrogen dominant. We have far more significant symptoms than we potentially could have. Some of the products that do that are BPA, which is what is found in plastic. I know that there is a lot of attention in the media given to BPA. A lot of it's, it's bisphenol A. A lot of the manufacturers have removed BPA from their products. However, there is talk that the replacement is actually as bad and does the same thing as, as BPA does. So what we tend to see fairly common, um, BPA is in water bottles. And so if you've got a water bottle, preferably use glass or else use stainless steel. Um, that's one way of reducing it. Cleaning products contain loads of chemicals that, that are estrogen mimickers. Beauty products that we use contain lots of chemicals that are estrogen mimickers and so doing a inventory of your cleaning products an inventory of all the products that you're actually using in your home sounds quite daunting but the idea is to as one thing finishes you replace it with a better variety and being part of the membership group is you would then have the understanding and the knowledge to know what you actually need to look for as a potential problem in the um, in what you have and also what to look for as an alternative to go and replace that. The other area to mention is that from a genetic perspective, we all eliminate estrogen in a slightly different way. And that's part of what is, is controlled by our detoxification pathways. Some people break down estrogen and clear it from the body really quickly. But for example, if somebody breaks down estrogen slowly and they've got a gut issue, what can happen is that the estrogen that's packaged up and ready to be moved out the body can be unpackaged because of what's happening in the gut with a particular enzyme and that estrogen can start to be recirculated back into the body. If we are using cleaning products and beauty products and personal care products that have got estrogen mimickers in, we now have this additional load of estrogen coming into the body. So not only are we not eliminating this production of estrogen well, we are also having an, a load coming into the body and our gut is causing it not to be eliminated properly. So we're going to have very significant high levels of, of estrogen. So that is important to understand because that is also very unique to an individual. Would you like to give us your three best tips on nutrition and menopause? Okay, I would say that there's no generalized approach to menopause. If you have been advised to just go on HRT, hormone replacement therapy, and you'll be fine, that is a band-aid. 
and that is not going to address the challenges. So there's no generalized approach to menopause. You need to dig a little deeper. I think also understanding that what was optimal in addressing your health before is no longer going to be optimal and you need to find a a new approach to supporting your health once you move into, into menopause. And then I think the last one is address your stress and your stress management before moving into menopause and even after menopause, but specifically going into it because you're you have the ability then to have higher levels of progesterone being produced from your adrenal glands. One of the things that, and I know I'm sort of going off on a bit of a, a bit of a segue here, but when you don't have good balanced levels, because the adrenal gland also produces adrenaline, often some of these surges, these hot flushes that you feel, are actually surges of adrenaline because the adrenal glands are just not able to produce the hormone that you need at that time. So addressing stress in menopause and prior to menopause, really, really key in order to have um, a good experience of menopause. And this will all in the end be linked to nutrition because one one needs to know as an individual how your hormones work and what to eat or to add to your diet in order to have optimal nutrition. Correct. Because from a detox perspective, there are certain foods like your cruciferous vegetables. They contain certain compounds that help to detoxify estrogen. There are certain phytoestrogens, so phyto meaning plant, plant estrogens that you can take that will block the receptor from these endocrine disruptors from your personal care products. So you can take certain foods that can block those receptors so that you're not likely to experience these very high levels of, of estrogen. Then we can certainly address blood sugar balance and thyroid support through food. But there are also some lifestyle changes that that need to be made. So it's the combination of nutrition changes, lifestyle changes, and creating a new approach to your health in that stage of life. And then, if necessary, how to optimize your health. The genetic report would always be very beneficial to bring that in, um, to understand how can you support your body going forward in the most optimal way. Thank yeah. you. May I ask you your own question? Yes, I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> now, on your Facebook page, I saw some scrumptious healthy recipes. Yes. And that made me wonder, if you were a leaf in a salad, Anita, which leaf, which kind of leaf <laughs> would you be? Oh, my word, Mariette, you come up with the most amazing questions. Um... I think I would probably be something like Rocket. So Rocket, when I was originally introduced to it, was a little bit too bitter for me and I didn't quite enjoy it. But I think, I think that if you eat Rocket on its own, it's not terribly pleasant. But when you add it into something else, it brings a certain tang and a quality and adds a certain element onto something else. And I think that, to me, I would also equate that with the journey of getting healthy, is that you don't need to go to the extremes to find something that's going to work for you. You can include 
small portions of it in your life and still make a significant difference and still get the benefit from it. So I would be a piece of rocket. <laughs> Thank you. And I think you've just summarized what I've learned from you in this session. That the main thing, I think, is the individualized approach, which is based on the foundation yes. of the, a, a very solid foundation of knowledge. Absolutely. And to, to bring those two together. Yes. So and, that's, and that's often the challenge, is, is getting the foundations in place, because that's to do with behavior change often. Um, and having someone to point the way and show you it's not that difficult and we can do it in small chunks, small manageable chunks, is, in my opinion, a great way to do it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mariette. To our listeners, it was good of you to join us. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. I'd really appreciate it if you'd subscribe to Calm, Clear and Helpful and if you'd rate the show. Visit my website www.mariehetsneiman.co.za for this episode's show notes and for free articles and podcast episodes on love relationships, parenting, life's challenges and emotional health. To follow me on Facebook, just search for Mariette Sneeman, Journalist. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.